All right, so this summer we've been looking at some of the kings of Israel in the book of Kings because, as I've said, the history of Israel is the history of the kings. When they had good kings, things were good. Oh, and uh, kids, I forgot to mention, you're not trapped here. You got one chance to get out, and it's right now. And uh, so, so take that opportunity, I suggest, unless you want to be stuck for a really long time. But uh, so we've been looking at, at the kings, and, and uh, one of the things that's noticeable in, in the history of Israel is how the fortunes of the people rises and falls with the faithfulness or fidelity of the kings. The good kings lead the people into prosperity and peace, and the bad kings t- tend to have troubles and bring troubles with them. And so this week, we're going to continue our look at Hezekiah, and you know, one of the things I like about Hezekiah is he's a king you can kind of relate to. Some of the kings had such excesses, like uh, Solomon with his 700 wives, or Rehoboam with, his, with all of his demands, that, that they were kind of hard to connect with. But Hezekiah is just your basic good guy. He became king, he tore down all of the, uh, I, I, the shrines to all the idols, he he revived the worship of God, and he trusted in God and, and asked God to guide the people. And so things went pretty well. But even for good guys, sometimes you run into some lumps. And for Hezekiah, that happened when the king of Assyria invaded him. Last week, we talked about the first invasion by the king of Assyria, and Hezekiah sort of entered into a treaty with him or surrendered to him, essentially. And, and gave him all, all the gold in their uh, sovereign wealth holdings. And, uh, but as happens with people like this, the king of Assyria came back the next year. And uh, he had Jerusalem surrounded. And this time, he's not looking to make a treaty. He doesn't want just their wealth. He wants the people. He wants the city. He wants the whole nation. He wants to conquer everything. And so as our story opens here, the king of of King Sennacherib of Assyria has sent a message to Hezekiah, and that's, that's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter eight, 18, verse 10. Say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the other countries, destroying them completely, and you, and you will be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telazir? Where is the king of Hama or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair or Seravim, Hena or Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the word Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord God, deliver us from his hand, 
so that all the kingdoms of earth might know that you alone, Lord, that you alone are God. And then in response to this, God sends Isaiah, and Isaiah has a message for uh, Hezekiah. And this is the same Isaiah who wrote the book of Isaiah. In fact, this whole story, for those of you who are Bible students, this whole story is reproduced in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 36 through uh, chapter 39. But Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And then there's an extended prophecy. The the conclusion of it is this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for the sake, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian army. When the people got up the next morning, there were all these dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons killed him with the sword. This is God's word for God's children. So I want to just start by pointing out a reality of life that if, if you've lived long enough, you already know this, but, but some of you maybe, maybe not. And it's, it's just a, something we have to face. It's sometime for all, everyone in this room, sometime in the next 20 years or in the next uh, 10 years or in the next five years, in the next year, maybe even for some of you, right this moment, you're going to face an unimaginable, unbearable, intolerable, unmanageable problem. And you won't know what to do. And how do I know that? It's not because I'm a prophet. It's because that's how life is. And for all of us, things come along in life that we can't handle. And we handle 90% of stuff or 99% of stuff, but then there's that 1% that takes all of us down. For some people, it's a career crisis. They build their life around their career, and then all of a sudden, that comes to an end, and they don't know what to do. It seems like all their experience and training has become irrelevant. For some people, it's a uh, relationship crisis. For some people, it's a physical health problem. You're strong, you're healthy for years and years and years, then all of a sudden, something strikes you. You get hit by a car, you're in an accident. You uh, get a bad diagnosis, and all of a sudden, you're the thing that was your strength goes away. For some people, it's a legal or a financial problem. Let me just say, for those of you who have cute little girls, I see a a lot of those cute little babies out there, you can pretty much schedule it for when she turns 14. Just just be prepared. Um, But life for all of us, regardless of who we are or how we are, it presents these these unbearable problems, these problems that bring us to the end of ourself. And, you know, if I'm still in your life at that point, you know, please come talk to me. And I, I like uh, talking to people who are going through these things and trying to talk it out and, and figure out what the solutions are. And then before you go, I'll say what pastors say, well, let's pray about this. And there's something I'll be thinking at that point, but I won't say it then, but I'll say it to you now. And it's that sometimes God brings these 
situations in our life, these crises, these, these, these places where we're losing the things that we can't live without, he brings them into our life for this reason, to teach us to pray. Because one of God's priorities for his children, one of God's priorities for you and for me and for all of us is to teach us how to pray. And we don't learn to pray from preachers preaching sermons to us or by reading books on prayer, although I recommend listening to preachers when they preach on it, and I recommend the books, but we actually learn to pray when life puts us in those circumstances when we have no other alternative. Because here's one of the things, no matter how devout you are, no matter how, how Christian you might be or how religious you might be or how full of faith you might be, one thing about all of us is we really don't pray or we don't really pray until we've exhausted all other options in our life. And uh, Hezekiah is a great example of this. I mean, if we, we talked about Hezekiah last week. He was the king who trusted in the Lord. He was the king who restored the purity of the worship for the people of Israel. He was a good guy. He was a guy who was blessed by God, and God worked in him, and God worked through him. And I'm sure Hezekiah, like most of you people, he prayed every day. He prayed twice on Sunday. He was a praying man. But, uh, but when the king of Assyria surrounded him the first time, he didn't pray about it. He just said, okay, let's make a deal. I'll give you all of our wealth, all of our nation's wealth, all of our gold, I'll just give it to you. And so he made that deal, and we talked about that last week and how that deal was, was kind of a bad deal because it didn't really work out. But that was Hezekiah's way of trying to solve his problems using his own resources, which is what we, we all tend to want to do, is, is say, what resources do I have that are going to solve this problem? But King Sennacherib, like our problems, the problem, like the problems that we're all trying to solve in our own resources, what happens is King, King Sennacherib comes back. And he comes back the second time and says, you know, you don't have any more wealth to give me. You don't have any more strength to give me. And I've got you surrounded by, by an army of hundreds of thousands of, of people here. And I'm going to invade you. I'm going to take you over. And, and it's over. And so now Hezekiah says, now I've got to pray. Now I'm going to really pray. Not just say my prayers, but I'm going to really, really pray. So the crises come in our lives because God wants you to learn how to pray. God wants you to learn how to depend on him. God wants you to get to a place where you're no longer self-sufficient, but you find your sufficiency in connection with him. Because I mean, if you're like me, I only pray. I mean, I say my prayers, but I only really pray when I'm facing an unmanageable situation, when I've run out of resources of my own with which to solve the problem. And, and uh, God wanted Hezekiah to pray, so he brought him to this circumstance. And you know what? God wants you to pray. And so why is this happening in your life? Why is God allowing this to happen in your life? Maybe the reason is simply this, because God says it's time for this person to learn how to pray. And so I'm going to bring them to pray. So let's look at, look at the message from Sennacherib again. It's verse 10 and following. It says, Say to Hezekiah, this is the king, King Sennacherib saying to the king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the other countries, destroying them completely. And you will be delivered. And then he goes on to say, you know, 
every other city I invaded was religious just like you guys are. And so you think your God is different? And that's probably where the guy crossed the line because he got, got someone angry who he shouldn't have gotten angry. And uh, so Sennacherib, he wasn't just talking. He was re ready to back it up. He says, this time I'm not here just to take your gold. I'm not here to accept anything other than absolute unconditional surrender. I'm here to take everything. And Hezekiah, like I say, he's got nothing left to do. And so then he prays. Look at his prayer. You know, I would just suggest if you're trying to figure out prayer, trying to understand prayer, when, if you read the Bible and you come across a prayer that's written down, that's probably, it's written down because it's a good model of what our prayer should be. And any prayer in the Old Testament or the New Testament that you find that's written down is, is something good to study and think through and, and follow if you're trying to figure out for yourself what does it mean to pray or how does God want me to pray. So Hezekiah received this message and he doesn't go talk to his advisors, he doesn't go talk to his generals, he doesn't go talk to, uh, to other people who might give him advice. This time he just goes goes to a private place, and he says a prayer. He goes out, and he spreads out the message, spread it out, spreads the message out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. This is uh, verse uh, 15. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule you the living God. It's true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste on those nations in their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods at all, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord God, deliver us from this land so that all the kingdoms of the earth might know that you alone, Lord, that you alone are God. Here's what I want you to see here. When you pray, you actually are entering into something epic. This wasn't just a struggle between two minor kings who, whose names would be lost to history. This was a struggle between the presumption of Sennacherib and his paganism and the one true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And... and and this was a challenge to God himself, to God's power, to God's goodness, to God's strength, to God's, to God's sovereignty over all things. And, and so Hezekiah has a challenge for God. He says to, to, to God, this is your opportunity to prove to the nations that you alone are God, that the God of Israel isn't like the God of all those other nations that got invaded and got, and got obliterated. The God of Israel is someone different. The God of Israel is the true God, the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And so when you pray, you're entering into something epic. You're entering into something cosmic. Prayer takes the, the normal and makes it legendary. Prayer takes the temporal problems that you're facing, maybe a problem at your job, a problem in your family, a problem with your kid, a problem with your health, and it, it takes the temporal and makes it eternal. It takes the personal and makes it something cosmic. Because all of a sudden you're not just asking for help with your kid or your friend or your job or your health. You realize it's actually not about me. It's not just about my family. It's not just about our state. It's not just about our city. It's not just about our world. It's about 
the battle between the forces of good and evil. It's about God's kingdom and God's will and God's glory. And when you pray, you're actually joining the cosmic battle. You're connecting the glory of God and the work of God to the challenges that you face, the challenges that you're struggling with right here and right now. So let me just go through Hezekiah's prayer quickly here. Verse 15, he makes an affirmation. And prayer starts with reminding ourselves who God is. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And he's, you know, he's being specific there. When he says Lord, he doesn't mean Lord in the general sense, but he's saying Yahweh, the God who is over all, the King of kings and Lord of all lords. When we pray, we put God in his place. We recognize that God is the one who's able to solve our problems. And uh, you know, the reason we resist prayer is because we resist humbling ourselves. Because we don't like to ask for help, we like to solve our own problems. And so that's why we don't pray, but when we pray, we're recognizing that basic rule of the creed, there is a God and you're not him. So he affirms who God is and then he brings attention to his, to his challenges. Because prayer isn't the denial of our problems. Prayer isn't the denial of our illness or the denial of our situation or the denial of our circumstances. Prayer is, the, is bringing our circumstances and our challenges up to the presence of God. He says, give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these other nations. They've thrown their, their gods into the fire and destroyed them because they were not gods at all. So he's not trying to escape reality, he's bringing his reality to God. And that's what prayer is, is you take your reality, the, prayer, the realities that you can't handle, and you bring them to God, you lay them at Jesus' feet. Remember, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He wants us to bring our burdens to him. Prayer isn't a denial of reality, prayer is the way we can engage reality, and sometimes it's the only way we can be honest about the realities that we're facing. So he pays attention to his reality, and finally, he asks God for help. He, he has a specific request here. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of earth might know that you alone, Lord, are God. He has a request. He's asking God to actually move. He's asking God to actually work. He's asking the, the power of heaven to intrude into earth and to make things right. He's connecting the glory of God into his situation. And so that's what Hezekiah did there. And, and think about this. This happened 2,700 years ago or so, in about 700 B.C. And... Uh, you know, King Hezekiah would have just been one of hundreds of minor kings in the ancient Near East that no one had ever heard of, except that he prayed. And because he prayed, he's, he's talked about and read about and remembered all the time. You know, because his willingness to pray, his willingness to be used by God, his willingness to bring his problems up to God is what made him significant. And... You and I, we might feel like our situation, though it's unbearable to us, we're really inconsequential in the broader scheme of things. When we think of the, the billions of people in the world, and we think of the course of history, and we think of, of all that God's got going on. But when we pray, our 
we become significant because we are entering into the presence of God and we are bringing our burdens into God's hands. We become important, we become significant, and we become powerful when we pray because of the new position we occupy before the throne of God above. We become, we, we claim our status as children of the king. I mean, who has access to the king of the universe? Who can walk into the throne room of heaven and make their request known? Well, Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven, this is what I got going on and I need your help. Prayer is the ultimate presumption because we're going before the king of the universe, the creator of all things, and we're bringing our requests to him. So when you pray, your challenges, your struggles become part of, part of the, cosmic, the cosmic drama in ways that you can't even conceive. I, I'm sure Hezekiah didn't see what was going on really as something of historical significance. He was just trying to survive. He knew he was going to be dead when Sennacherib came over that wall. He was just wanted to live. And so often, you know, we, we come to God in prayer and we're just trying to survive whatever it is life is throwing at us. We just want to live. We just want to make it. We just want our families and, and friends and, and circumstances to work out. But we become something so much more significant. We become a part of the story God is writing in this world. We become a part of the work God is doing in this world in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Because when you pray, you're reminded that God sees what's going on, God knows what's going on, and God is at work in what's going on, and you are part of the work that God is doing in ways that you can't really understand. My struggle is a part of the cosmic work of God, his, his effort to reveal his glory to all the principalities and powers. You know, most of the biblical characters, they were just regular people living their life, and then they got caught up in this struggle. I mean, remember the story of Job? Job is just a good guy, and he happens to be a religious guy, and he happens to be a devout guy, and he happens to be a wealthy guy, and he happens to have a big, a big beautiful family. And... Uh, and he's doing everything right, and he, he prays, and, he, he's, he's, uh, and he's generous, and, and he's good. And then Satan says to God, well, you know, that guy Job, the only reason he worships you is because, uh, because you've been so good to him. What do you think would happen if I uh, took everything away from him, or if you took everything away from him? And God says, well, let's test that and find out. And if you're Job's family, they're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> but Job got caught up in the cosmic drama. And each of us, in some ways, in ways we don't want to, we can get caught up in that cosmic drama, in that struggle between God and Satan, in that, in that project, that eternal project God has to reveal his glory in the cosmos. Every one of us is part of that, and every one of us participates in that particularly when we pray. So, going back to Hezekiah, you know, he, he was one, one of the biblical characters, but all of us have, have that, that all of us, our lives are part of that story, and the significance of our life is bound up in that story. One of the verses that comes to me a lot is, is Psalm 139. It 
16 where it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, sometimes we go through life and it just seems like life is just one thing after another. But what the Bible says is all of our, all of our lives are actually part of an amazing epic, an amazing story that God himself is writing. And all of us, all of God's children are part of that in ways that we don't even know yet because we haven't gotten to the end of the book. and We haven't seen how everything turns out. And we haven't seen how everything is tied together. But it is tied together because it's a story that's being masterfully written by God. But a key part of that story is how you pray and then how God answers those prayers. How you bring your burdens to God and then God responds with his grace. When we pray, we enter into that story. And when you pray hard, you become a key player in the story that God is writing. It's God's story is better and more dramatic and more creative than the story. You know, I'd want a pretty simple story for myself. You know, just sort of a, a linear path from glory to glory and from success to success and from strength to strength. But, but you know, God, God wants my life apparently to be something of a drama with its, its highs and lows and ups and downs. And, and that's the same thing for all of you. We all want that, that safe, easy life. But God's going to put the drama in your life. And it's there that you're going to know his presence and his grace. When we pray, we enter into that story. And, and, you know, Hezekiah, good thing about being Hezekiah is he had this guy named Isaiah. You've heard of Isaiah, the prophet? So Isaiah was one of his advisors. And so, so Isaiah comes to him and says, hey, Hezekiah, just was talking to God, and, and God wanted me to tell you that he heard your prayer, and, and he has an answer. And, uh, and the answer is actually about a chapter long, so we didn't read the whole thing. But, but basically what it amounts to is, is a whole chapter of ancient Near Eastern uh, taunting and trash talking between God, the God of Israel and, and King Sennacherib. Uh, and he's, he's telling him that God's coming down to make things right. But then it concludes, the, the conclusion is printed in your program there, starting verse 32. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I'll defend the city, and I will save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God comes back and says to Isaiah, God has heard your prayer. God has answered your prayer. Because you prayed, God is going to work in this situation. And, and I, I think it's important to stop right there and just make the point that prayer isn't just something we do for our mental health. Prayer isn't just uh, something we do to settle our nerves. Prayer is something we do when we want God to work in a circumstance, because the Bible says that God answers prayer. And one of the secondary causes for all that God does is a response to the prayers of his people. Someone said that when God has decided he's going to move, the first thing he does is he recruits someone to pray for that. You know, just the fact that you're praying for something, just the fact that you're, you're moved to pray for your sister or your brother or your friend or, 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 a, a per, or God gives you a burden for something in, in the city or God gives you a burden for something in your family, just the fact that you care enough to pray for that and that you're moved to pray for that is probably can legitimately be read as a sign that God has decided 
he's going to work in that situation. Because, like I say, prayer doesn't come naturally to us. We'd rather do anything than prayer, pray. So when you are praying, it's a sign that God is working. That, you know, just the fact that you're praying is a miracle in and of itself. But it's a sign that God is working in the situation. I just have a few verses from the New Testament if you want to put those up there. I'll just... Uh, just, just for reminders, maybe you've heard some of these, but in James 5 it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, the prayer does change things. In 1 Peter 3 it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. The Lord who, who manages the stars in the sky and the billions of people on earth is also listening to your prayers. His ears are attentive to your prayers. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The way this story is written, it makes it clear that the reason God saved Jerusalem is because Hezekiah prayed. Because see, Hezekiah was a good guy, he was a devout guy, he was a religious reformer, he trusted in the Lord, but he had to pray and pray seriously and pray intensely to get God to come and deal with this problem he had with Sennacherib. And so that's the amazing thing, because you know, you find yourself in those circumstances, and we all will, we all do, circumstances that are unmanageable. We find ourselves with problems that we can't solve. And it's like, what can you do when there's nothing you can do? You can pray. And that's the invitation of the Bible. That's the invitation that God the Father gives to all of his children. That in this circumstance, you are invited to pray. And then the results... This prayer really got results. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When they got up the next morning, there were all these dead bodies. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, his sons killed him with a sword. So God answered the prayer, not just through the prophecy of Isaiah, but through the angel of death coming down and decimating his army. I mean, just when it looked like they were completely outnumbered and there was no hope for them, God came and, and directly intervened in that circumstance, but then he brought the ultimate humiliation to, to this Sennacherib who, who spent his days tormenting and mocking and mocking Israel's God when his two sons snuck up behind him and uh, killed him while he was worshiping in the temple of his God. So it's a reminder of who's really in charge. God, God uses prayer so that he can work in a way that will give him all the credit while we get to participate. I mean, you know, if, if those guys had just if all those fighting men had just died, you might have written it off to, uh, to a plague that went through, the, uh, went through the camp. And if Sennacherib's sons had just killed him while he was worshiping, you might have said, well, I guess he wasn't a very good father. But, uh, <laughs> but, but as, as this is written, we see all of this is an answer to prayer. So God gets the glory. We understand that what happened to, to that army, what happened to that king was 
was an answer to the prayer that Hezekiah prayed. God answered his prayer. And, and, uh, and that's the way God works. And that's why God delights to work in response to your prayers. That's why prayer is so powerful. Because on the one hand, you're affirming your powerlessness. And on the other hand, God gets to work in ways that the people who pray, you know, this can be a secret sometimes that they keep. You know, this is a secret that the moms keep, a secret that the friends keep as well. That's happening because I prayed for you. And uh, you, you can enjoy it all you want, but understand it, that, that was my prayers at work there. Because that way God... God is recognized as the one who is the effective agent even while we participate in his work. And God, and, uh, and that, that's how that great reversal was brought. So now King Hezekiah, we've been talking about him for a few weeks. He was a good guy. He was like us. He was a good guy who did a lot of good things right, but he had his shortcomings. He had his, his failures of faith. Uh, you know, chief among them that he really didn't want to pray. He really didn't think of prayer as his first resort. He more thought of it as his last resort. If he had any, any other options, he would, have taken, he would have taken those options. He didn't pray till he had no other options. And uh, his prayer wasn't a great prayer, but it was a prayer of a desperate man to a great God. And it was the greatness of God, not the greatness of his prayer, that made a difference. And in, in our lives, you know, you'll, you'll sit down to pray and you'll, you'll think of your sister who's gone off the rails and you say, God, please help my sister. I don't really know what to say. Please deliver my sister. Please be gracious to my sister. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know what to pray. It doesn't sound eloquent. It doesn't sound deep. You say, well, I wish I... I was more spiritual, I wish I was more profound, so I knew something to say. But look at Hezekiah's prayer. It wasn't that profound either, but it wasn't the greatness of his prayer or the power of his prayer. It was the greatness of a God who delights to hear his children come and make their requests known. Uh, and and uh, the most important thing to, to see here is that Hezekiah prayed or Hezekiah's prayer was powerful because he was aligned with God. Look at verse 34 at the end of the prayer. It says, God says to Hezekiah, or Isaiah says to Hezekiah through, through uh, the prayer, he says, I'm going to deliver you for my sake. And so it's, what, why did God answer his prayer? Because Hezekiah pointed out to God that this guy was mocking Yahweh, the God of Israel, and this was an opportunity for Yahweh, the God of Israel, to make a statement to all the nations that he and his people were set apart from the broad mass of humanity and that the God of Israel was not like the God of all the, nation, of all the other nations who, who were just made of wood and stone and were products of their imagination, but the God of Israel is the King of kings and Lord of lords and, and God of God. So, so See, Hezekiah's prayer was answered because he had entered into, he had entered into, and he had committed himself to the work of God, and that's 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 the heart of that's part of what's at the heart of Christian prayer. We're praying ultimately for the glory of God in the circumstances we face. We're praying for God to work so that His name gets lifted up and His His name makes an impact on the world. But it's not just for 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 His name's sake. He also says, "This was for the sake of David." my servant. See, like I mentioned, Hezekiah was a good guy. Hezekiah was a religious guy. Hezekiah trusted 
trusted God. But it wasn't for Hezekiah's sake that his prayer was answered. God says to him, Isaiah says, well, God's message is that I'm doing this for the sake of my promises to your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David that I made long ago, made, made uh, 200 years ago. Remember, God had promised David that he would build a house through David and that David's son would always have a king who sat on the throne and that his kingdom would not be overthrown and that, that through David, a Messiah would come. Through David, the restoration of all things would, would happen. And so there was a setup that, that one day there'd be a son of David who would restore everything. And that son of David, that final son of David, his name is Jesus. And Jesus came and conquered the ultimate enemy. Jesus came and established a kingdom that could not be, that, that could not be shaken. And it's his victory and his glory that our prayer is all about. Like I said, Hezekiah was a good guy, but his prayers weren't answered for his sake. Hezekiah was a godly guy, but his prayers weren't answered because of his devotion. Hezekiah was a, was a righteous guy and a generous guy, but his prayers weren't answered because of his sacrifices, because of his righteousness, because of his generosity, because God owed him something. Hezekiah's prayers were answered because of his connection to David, his father. And that's, that's at the heart of Christian prayer, because we come to prayer, and one of the things that keeps you from praying is you feel like, well, I'm not adequate to pray, and you know, I'm not, not really uh, religious enough, I don't know the right things, and in fact, I've kind of messed up this week, and I'm not really a good enough person to approach God. Have you ever felt like that? Like, well, if, if I get my life in order, and then, then I can maybe say a prayer. But Christian prayer isn't based on our righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. It's not based on our sacrifices to God, but it's based on the fact that God has provided the final sacrifice in Christ. It's not based on our power. It's based on tapping the power of Christ for us. And that's why we pray, Christians pray, in Jesus' name. Because we understand we don't approach God in our own name. We don't approach God by virtue of our own merits. We don't approach God by virtue of our own rights. We approach God as those who are united with Christ, as those who believe in Christ. And Christ has invited us to come and to bring our requests and bring our burdens right there to the throne of God, not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus, by virtue of his merits, by virtue of his merits mercy and in response to his invitation. So when you're moved to pray, remember, we pray in Jesus' name and God hears and God will act. Maybe the very fact that you're praying is the sign that God is going to work powerfully in this circumstance for his glory in ways that you can't even imagine yet. So let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now for those who are here today who are in the school of prayer, who are learning to pray not because they are particularly devout or uh, religious, but because they're out of other options and because life has become too hard. I just pray that you would move them to prayer, that you would meet them in their prayers, and that you would show them as they pray how powerful you are and how gracious they are, that you are, that they might one day soon have a testimony. 
Father, we thank you for the open door you've given us and for inviting us into something cosmic, something transformative. And I pray that that would be uh, a profound reality in each of our lives, that we would be conscious of the part we play in a drama that's much bigger than ourselves and the story that you're writing for us, the story that began with began with the work of Christ for us and his victory over death. Help us to rest in him. Help us to trust in him. Help us to be transformed by him, we pray in his holy name. Amen.